fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive. Uh, brought to you by the good folks of the Rotor Street Journal. I, of course, am your host, Nat the Truth Jones. With me, as always, the wolf of Rotor Street himself, who I have not seen in a good while, so it's great to see you, bud. Uh, great to see you too, my man. It seems like I'm being super, super direct for me, straight to the point. It's because we have a jam-packed agenda, and Huge. we're on a bit of a time constraint here because one of us has got to be done by Jeopardy time. And guess what? It's not It's not me. It's not the dad. (laughs) It's not me. I got someone watching, watching the kids. But anyway, it's great to see you. Uh, We're going to be doing uh, a regular show together. Uh, We're still trying to figure out a time because the time that worked for me is not great for the wolf. Uh, But we're going to work something out. Uh, We're going to have some uh, funny stuff, some culture stuff, and of course, some fantasy football stuff thrown in there too. And we'll make sure that you know about it before it happens because uh, we want you to watch. Uh, Anyway, let's get right into it, man. You ready? We this got a stuff. huge agenda. Yeah, rises and dollars. dollars. Right. Oh, so many to get through. That's uh, that's why I'm going to need you, uh, Truth, to just kind of give yeah. me that if I'm rambling about people because we have so many to cover, so many stocks yeah. up and down from the drafts. I cannot wait to get into it. It's crucial. Yes. yes. It's if you are crucial. rambling, if you are rambling, I'll make sure. I'm sure that I that never do. Happen. Right. <laughs> no, you're you're succinct and to the point all the time. But Always. anyway, let's get right into it. You remember when Lamar Jackson ruined so many people's fantasy drafts? A year ago, yeah, I I was one of I never take a quarterback early, and I did it in my Holy Cross league, and I'll never do it again just right. because of this guy. Right. Well, Pete, we I mean we we all drank the Kool Aid. Uh, is yeah. he back? Is he back to being a cheap co- a cheat code now that he's got Bateman in the mix? I sure think he could be. I mean, you you talk about why he was going so early in those drafts. He had in 2019. Nine games over 30 points, literally winning you weeks by himself. Uh, the quarterback won on 80%, 87%. He was a top 12 quarterback. There's only one game below 20 in 2019. And then you look last year, he wasn't horrible. He was a top 12 guy, 67% of the time, but he had four below 20. He only had three games above 40, uh, above 30 rather. So the, the ceiling and the floor took a pretty big hit with this guy, especially when you put in that opportunity cost, a second, third round pick. But I do think when you add in a receiver like Bateman, and after talking to Thor, I'm going to keep referencing him throughout this podcast. You uh, you Thor, the God of Thunder? Like- uh, <laughs> badass name, the God of Thunder, yes. But from uh, the oh. new NBC Sports Edge, formerly of Roto World, he came on on Tuesday. That's even better. Um, even better. Unbelievable, unbelievable insight uh, from Thor on all these rookies. Make sure you listen to it if you have it. I'm going to keep referencing him throughout the show. He talked, he was waxing poetic about Bateman. Complete receiver, great off the line, great at releases, unbelievable in the intermediate range. Essentially a weapon that Lamar Jackson has not had in his entire tenure. And this is a guy who is raw, who came in raw, still is raw, and they never gave him that true security blanket style guy. That's what Bateman can do. And I think he's going to elevate this entire offense to a whole new level we haven't seen under L. Jacks. And that's kind of crazy considering they averaged nearly 32 points a game just a season ago. They still were ninth in scoring last year, but I think we see them get back to those heights of the 2019 season. And with that being the case, I think Lamar Jackson's ceiling 
also goes up and you're not going to have to pay that second round, third round price. It's going right around four or five. So you could get that ceiling right back uh, and, and ultimately maybe even higher with this type of weapon there. I love it. The only concern is maybe he runs a little less with an elite receiver there, but still love this move for Lamar Jackson. I think it's going to be huge for the entire offense. All right, we're going to move right on, but I want to ask just real quick before we do, what's the highest you're drafting this guy? Mm. I know I know, this is not legally binding. This could change before the draft, but I mean, you know, if you were going to jump up, I mean, clearly you think this guy's got real potential. What's the highest round you could see drafting him in? I think generally like round early, like late round four, early round five is like the earliest I take a plunge on a QB in general, whether that ends up being Lamar, Dak, Mahomes. Like I have all those guys in the same cheer, Josh Allen. If it ends up being Lamar, great. I, I just think this puts him back into that tier, whereas he was more so a tier below for me with like the Rodgers and them. I could see myself going around four and five, but I need okay. to make sure I have at least one horse, at least one stud receiver before yeah. I even consider a quarterback. So I, I need to have at least three picks in the belt before I'm considering this guy. All right, fair enough. Matt Ryan, the corpse of Matt Ryan. Falcons <laughs> could lead the NFL in touchdowns with the addition of Pitts. I haven't spoken to you since the draft. I'm assuming you love this guy. Not Matt Ryan, but Pitts. Love Kyle Pitts. And again, Thor yesterday talking about how this guy should be the rookie 101 in your drafts, ahead of Najee Harris, ahead of Jamar Chase, because of the huge edge he's going to bring at tight end. Travis Kelsey-style edge, even a bigger freak athlete, like 10 times the athlete. He called him 95% of Calvin Johnson at tight end. Now you mix that in with Julio, Calvin Ridley, you don't need me to spell out how insane this weapons cabinet is going to be. And this is Matt Ryan. I mean, yeah, it's unsexy. Nobody's like, oh, I can't wait to draft Matt Ryan, especially in the age of Konami code quarterbacks. You want that rushing upside. I get it. It makes perfect sense. Like, uh, of course. But you got to recognize Matt Ryan's been top 12 in nine of his last 11 seasons. It's a very high floor. He's thrown over 4,400 yards in seven of those 11. And the ceiling, it's not like he doesn't have a ceiling. The guy was top two in two of his last five seasons, including that 2016 MVP campaign. And in 2018, threw for over 4,900 yards and 35-plus touchdowns within those two seasons. I think you get right back to those levels. Never mind you, Stern, Arthur Smith, probably the best play caller this guy has ever had uh, with this type of weapons cabinet, the best weapons cabinet he's ever had. I mean, Tannehill made – I mean. Arthur Smith made Tannehill the QB seven last year, the QB two once he took over the year before. That's Ryan Tannehill with a weak weapons cabinet. The reason being, he was so efficient in the red zone. And that's why I think the Falcons can lead the league in touchdowns. And of course, you're going to have Matt Ryan be a piece of that. The Falcons ranked the last two years 25th and 26th in red zone efficiency, scoring on only 51 and 53% of their TD drives. Meanwhile, the Titans with less talent ranked Second and first across the last two years, scoring 77% and 74%. And like the first year, it was like, okay, well, that was, a, you know, they're going to regress. There's no way they hit 70% again, 77%. Well, 74% ain't too shabby as a follow-up. To me, that seems like a trend and not an anomaly. And I really think the Falcons could go insane when you think about how do you stop these guys? How do you stop them when they already had a pretty unstoppable offense? And then you mix in a weapon like Pitts, who's just ridiculous. The D's still looking horrible too. They're going to have to throw. I'm all in. I, I absolutely love these guys. Matt Ryan does love to take sacks. Don't forget that. Of course. But that I don't offer, so that, That's how you're going to stop him. That, sure. Anyway. You can get to him. But I, I still – in the line – speaking of that, the line is better too. They beefed yeah, up the line a little I'm just, bit. Like, I'm just turning the screws on Matty Ice a little bit. I mean, the thing is, this had nothing to do with fantasy. It did not affect anything in anybody's fantasy season 
I, I genuinely believe that loss to the Patriots has changed how yeah. – I mean, can you imagine how we would feel about this guy if he had just won the game like he was supposed to? MVP season. We think of him like Aaron Rodgers probably. Probably right in that level, yeah. Like yeah, some but now we years. just are like, ah, oh, he's a fucking joke. Yeah, he never <laughs> can get it done. And he never will, and that's okay. But in fantasy-wise, no. he's fantasy going to Fantasy-wise, I hear you. Done. All right, yeah. Sam Darnold, speaking of uh, upgraded life. I like that. <laughs> I like that banner. It's true. Matt Ryan, what do you think is the equivalent of like – being on the Jets, as far as what's a town in Massachusetts that we could uh, that living in that would be where, like. Where do you live? Jets. What's that, what's the town name that you live in? <laughs> I live in a nice town, but there's some yeah. kind of trashy towns around us. <laughs> <laughs> Just the middle of nowhere. I will say this about the Jets: like they're on the right path, in my opinion. I like Sal. I like the draft they had. I think Joe Douglas is doing it right. Last year was not that Jets. Adam Gase was a disaster. That's number one. Upgraded life, get rid of Adam Gase. Like, that guy is the yeah. worst coach. I, I don't know how he continued to last. And by the way, Wilpeck, if you don't mind giving us a quick thumbs up, right. regardless of where you're at, we never asked at the Bring beginning. It. Be so appreciated. Help us get out to more people. So thank you so much if you would consider doing that. But yes, upgraded life for Sam Donald. Number one, getting rid of Adam Gase. Crucial. Huge. And then you look at the, the weapons cabinet. I mean, this one's pretty obvious. You got, at, you got Frank Gore as your running back one. Jamison Crowder as your wide receiver one. Perriman and Mims behind him who couldn't, neither could stay healthy. Now you move over to the Panthers. One, you get Joe Brady, who sure, he didn't pan out quite to the level we were expecting. We hyped him up big. And I think, it, you know, first year growing pains. He still showed some big flashes. He was hampered by Teddy Bridgewater not being anything special. I like what I saw from this offense from a first-year coach. I think that could take to the next level here uh, under Joe Brady. But more so the weapons. Christian McCaffrey instead of Frank Gore. DJ Moore instead of Crowder. Robbie Anderson over Perriman. And now Terrace Marshall gets added uh, at wide receiver three in the draft. I love this weapons cabinet. I think the defense still sucks, so he's going to have to chuck plenty. All in all, it's just an upgraded life for Sam Donald. And if he sucks then we know it was him and not the Jets. It was him. He has no excuses left if he sucks. So I so love you, it for fantasy. You think Christian McCaffrey is an upgrade over Frank Gore? Slightly. Just slightly. Fantasy-wise? <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to maybe agree to disagree on that. Yes. All right. Joe Burrow. Only thing stopping him is the line. Man, I just am nervous for Joe Burrow. I really am. I'm, I'm, I am too, man. It's just like, I would hate to see two years in a row, such a great talent get ended prematurely. But when he was playing last year through weeks one through 10, they were leading the league in plays per game. They were leading the league in, in script neutral pass rate. They were chucking, 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 uh, all game. And that's great in terms of volume. Stay, as long as he can stay upright, I am nervous. If I was them, I probably would have taken Sewell there, uh, the, the left tackle, the franchise cornerstone. But instead, they add Jamar Chase. And honestly, I can't hate it because the last time we saw Jamar Chase, his quarterback was Joe Burrow. And Jamar Chase led the NCAA with 1,780 uh, yards, 20 touchdowns, went insane. The rapport is already established. He walks in day one and bam, alpha receiver already there on a cabinet that had T Higgins and Tyler Boyd already like Burrow was doing good things with a meh cabinet. This cabinet became top three potentially in terms of bottom to top receivers uh, in the league. So I absolutely love this. I love the fact that again, they were the past happiest team while Burrow was healthy and they've lauded about how they're going to remain that way and really emphasize the quick passing game to get Burrow uh, the ball out of his hands faster. And that's great because Burrow was second in NFL uh, in attempts under two and a half half seconds last year and he crushed it 
on those. His passer rating, uh, I believe, was third in the league under uh, when the throw was two and a half from the snap, which just shows you like how efficient he is in the quick strike game. And that's what Jamar Chase, you get him that ball, bam, he could be gone. You do it with Tyler Boyd. You can do that with T. Higgins, although Higgins more so a red zone guy. But to me, it's just like one of those offenses that could just be a pass bonanza that could be really tough to stop. And the defense still blows, which is kind of the trend yeah. with like that, right? A lot of these guys we're talking about just keeps the air under the ball. So I really like Joe Burrow. I am nervous about him getting hit, but he did. They did sure. draft a beefy ass left tackle uh, in round two from Clemson. That really just got better as the year went. So it's not like they ignored the position. In fact, PFF called him the fourth most improved line in the league. I wish they had gotten the franchise cornerstone left tackle, but for fantasy wise, adding Jamar Chase is going to make this a fireworks factory. I cannot wait. Sure, and I know I'm stating the obvious here, but you know when your defense sucks, that often helps you a lot okay. <laughs> his fantasy numbers which is all got to really keep scoring right you got to right. keep pace right it stinks if you're if you got kind of a ground control running back yeah you want it for exactly. that but like oh, frank gore type anyway <laughs> anyway is he still playing frank gore's not signed yet but no he, you don't you wait exactly he's gonna he's gonna take some sort of exciting promising rookies value at some point he's, no a, he's a locker room guy. Like, no. yeah jalen exactly. hurts reuniting with Devonte. the eagles have committed you like Devonte, right i love Devonta smith i know there's a lot of this talk about you know he's too small he's 165 he's a beanpole he's, he's gonna get eaten up i don't think so i think he is so quick off the line i think he runs the route tree to perfection i mean this guy is what fifth six all-time single season and, and yardage last year, you don't do that without like genuine special talent. You would have said the same thing about Marvin Harrison, which is often his comparison, uh, yeah. too small, too skinny, not like a freak enough. And you saw what that guy did as a career. And I, I like that comparison. He's such a good boundary receiver and also so good at He's good at everything. You put him everywhere. And I love even more that him and Jalen Hurts have played together. Not a ton, yeah. but there is a rapport. They are comfortable. Jalen Hurts wanted this guy and the, the team went out and got, got him. And I love that. Uh, and already they're saying that the other thing I love about that too, is they didn't go and invest in another quarterback, kind of like what they did with Wentz last year with Jalen hurts. We know the regime regime has done that before, but they didn't do it this time to hurt. So they're at least giving him a one year tryout here. I love it. Cause when he got a three game tryout last year, he was the quarterback three from weeks 14, 15 and 16, averaging over 25 points per game, uh, only behind Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson in that span. So that was awesome. He's taken the reins. It sounds like their beat writer saying he's already organized offsite workouts with all of his teammates, Goddard, Sanders, Devonta. Uh, he's learning the, the playbook. He's really just seems to be like ascending into that true leadership role. The team's committed to him. The the teammates are committing to him. And when you add a weapon like this, I mean, the fact that he was quarterback three and had the worst, probably the worst receiving cabinet, I mean, bottom three at least in terms of production. Pretty bad. And yeah. then you add in a guy like Devonta. So you give him a bigger weapon and he's already flashed some real upside with a weaker cast and the, the, just the transition of like really getting his feet under him after a year. I love everything about this offseason for the guy. I think he's going to slay. All right. Well, speaking of Alabama receivers that have been reunited with someone from their past, let's talk about Tua uh, reuniting with Waddle. And, you know, much like the Eagles are committing, the Dolphins are committing as well. And you got to like that. I mean, I don't know. what Are you a Tua believer, first of all? I, I think the jury's still out. I don't, I'm not against yeah, Tua by any means. I'm, I, this is how I'll, I'll put it. Is I'm not judging him on last year. He came in midseason. He had Ryan Fitzmagic breathing down his neck. He wasn't fully healthy. And he had a bunch of receivers that just don't fit his game that well. Like yeah, Devonta true. Parker being his number one. Sure, he's great at contested catches, a big body. 
That's not Tua's game, though. That's Ryan Fitzmagic lobbing you bombs, letting you go get him. But yeah. Tua's so much more of the anticipation guy, hitting those guys right in stride so they rack up the yak. Like That's Tua's game. Yeah, he has the deep ball. He can uncork it. But he's more about getting it quick, letting the, the receiver do the work. And that's what Waddle is going to just like let this guy go ham with. He's one of those, like, I, I hate how like every draft's like, this guy's the next Tyreek Hill. Like we've, we've got 30 right. next Tyreek Hills in the last, like, ever since he entered the league, right? That being said, Waddle has that similar style of like, he could catch a screen and just no one's catching him. And he, he does it so well. Uh, they have that rapport already established. So I like that. Now you're looking at, as we were saying, Devontae Parker and ill-fitting matches is number one. I mean, Jakeem Grant and like, I don't even know, Lynn Bowden, I think was his wide receiver three. Like yeah. horrible cabinet to now Parker's his third. Waddle and Fuller are now added. So you got speed on the outside for his uncorking. You got somebody lifting the lid every play for somebody else to go and, and do the damage underneath. And Gasecki's still there who they already have that nice rapport together. They beef up the line even more. To me, this is like, I'm not saying you're saying I'm a two a believer. I'm going all in because – he looked tentative. He looked scared, uh, but that's also a little bit understandable given the injury he had, you know, a full year getting healthy, improving the weapons cabinet, improving the line. I'm ready to take that shot. Like, cause the price is what QB 25 or so. Right. Like, why not? Why not take us a, a late round stab at the guy? Cause he is mobile. He could add some, some leg points. And I just love everything about what this offseason has been for him. And I like that the team stayed committed to him. Let's see what this guy has when they could have just pulled the, you know, pulled the carpet out and said, you know what? Like kind of what the, the, who was it? The Cardinals did with Josh Rosen, like, and they should have. This isn't a Josh Rosen. He could still surprise you. You know, yeah. This isn't a Josh Rosen situation where I think they should have ripped the car carpet right under him. I think Tua deserves this shot, uh, and, and they've really given him everything. Kind of like Dar a lot of these quarterbacks. It's like we've given you what you need. Now you prove it. Is it? Is this your team? Right. Are you going to be our guy, or are you not? And I like and that. And I, I think I, he's set I up well. I do too. I actually believe in that completely. If you're going to draft someone, if, if someone's going to be your heir apparent, you gotta, you gotta set them up for some uh, success. You gotta yep. not make them think, okay, you're going to get yanked after two, three games, give them a season. And I mean, you can, that's a pretty good sample size. And I mean, then you can make a decision on your own at the end. Did he just not have the players around him or was he just not getting it done? And if exactly. he's not getting it done, then, then like you said, move on. Get rid um, of it. And then the new guy will come into a better situation. It's not like everything around the new guy will leave. Yeah. If you've built this nice like home, a nice nest for someone to fall into, that's that's a good franchise move. That's what kind of what the Panthers did with Darnold. They gave him the better line, more weapons. Let's see what the kid does. And if he sucks, then we have a better situation right. for our future franchise guy whenever he comes along. I like it. Yeah, me too. Miles Gaston, shockingly minimal competition added. So kind of by default, yeah. His stock goes up. A hundred percent. And all offseason, the, the beat writers, this the future franchise back is not on this roster. Everybody was expecting Miles Gaskin to get the boot. You look at the guy, it's kind of like, why? He, he was just never spectacular, but very, very solid. We got 10 full games of him. And he had double-digit touches, averaged 19 touches per game in that span. I mean, that's not bad. That's a pretty close to a workhorse right there. Yeah, 60% yeah, of the snap rate, so he was in for the majority of them. He was the running back 12 in PPR points per game, so a low-end number one running back out of nowhere on your waiver wires last year, uh, which was pretty damn solid. He had 388 receiving yards. That was seventh for running backs. And again, in only 10 games wow. played, he was actually fourth in terms of receiving yardage per game behind only 
Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and uh, who the hell was the third? It's like another Frank, one that you'd be like. Frank Gore, probably. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, it's another one of those names where you're like, oh, it's Austin Eckler, of course. Like, right. you know, the, the three guys, it's like if you beat any of those guys, how the hell does that ever happen? Those are the three most elite receiving backs in the league. But to come in fourth behind them is pretty damn impressive. You got, as we just talked about, a more explosive offense probably. If Tua takes that next step and with, you know, all these other receivers on the outside, that's not going to hurt having Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle lifting the lid of the defense. You cannot stack that box ever. And they they added some really nice picks. I love Eichenberg on the line. I thought they got a great value on him second round. Three starters as rookies last year. That's always nice to have another year. The line, they always talk about how much important consistency is and then developing them together. And they have these three guys that, yeah, they, they had their moments as rookies where they were positive and negative. I think having that extra year of experience is going to go a huge way for these guys. So with only, what, Jared Dokes in the last round and you know Malcolm Brown from the Rams added, that I expected like a Najee Harris to be added, a Javante Williams to be added, and neither were there. So it looks like to me it's going to be the Gaskin show and another season of just some nice, efficient, quality production in an even better spot than he was in last year when he was the RB, uh, RB12. Pretty solid to me. Not bad. All right, let's talk about Mike Davis. This is a guy whose oh, yeah. value fluctuated quite a bit last year, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. I mean, really exceeded expectations and then, you know, understandably just kind of disappeared when his job disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, C-Mac light, obviously that was last year. Um, Henry light. Yeah. Could, could he be, <laughs> you know, Arthur Smith's next Derrick Henry, very light Derrick Henry. There is no Derrick right. Henry. I mean, he's a steamroller. We literally know much, much lighter. Exactly. There's also no Christian McCaffrey. And like for a while, this guy was putting up pretty close to McCaffrey style numbers. Uh, he, he did fizzle out a little bit. He, he kind of burnt out. The, the tread on his tires seemed to burn out a little bit, which has me somewhat nervous. But, man, if he, he takes off, I would not be surprised at all because I said Henry Light. This guy is a just tackle-breaking machine similar to Henry. Among all That's running true. backs with 160-plus carries, Davis was only behind Nick Chubb and missed tackles forced per rush. He was fourth in total broken tackles, 14th in yardage after contact. He's just a hard-charging kind of bull-like runner, which is similar to what Arthur Smith would want given his Derrick Henry. And then you look at, you know, who else is there going to be? They didn't draft anybody. They signed uh, Javian Hawkins, who Thor loved yesterday as an undrafted free agent. Brings a nice speed element to it, but to me that's like the change of pace back in this system. Uh, in under Smith, the Titans ranked 10th and 2nd in rushing attempts, 3rd and 2nd in rush yards, and 2nd in rush TDs both years. Now, of course, and he's already said himself, when you don't have Derrick Henry, like that's that that directs your offense. So it's not like he's going to 100% like transition his scheme, but he does have a nice wide zone attack where he mixes in power concepts. It's kind of like Greg Roman where it's really creative, unique scheme. So I love that. We already talked about how I think the Falcons could lead the league in touchdowns with that efficiency spike under Arthur Smith. When we're talking about Matt Ryan, you got to imagine at least 10 of those could go to Davis. And, and I just think in general, they've already talked about how they love his pass catching ability. I think there's a very, very real, like 270 to 300 touch floor here with he gets to 1,100 or so yards, 10-plus scores. And right now he's still falling to like round five or six. To me, he's the, maybe the single biggest winner of the entire offseason. Remember, we were talking about like free agency, winners and followers, and he was under the question mark. Like, there's no way they keep Mike Davis as their future guy, right? Well, they did. Well, like, why he, not, kind of, you know? Exactly. Uh, and so here we go. Here we go. A feature back in mm-hmm. an offense that I think could lead the league in touchdowns. Sign me up all day. 
All right, Joe Mixon, we already talked Bengals a little bit because we talked about Burrow and the offensive line, you know, potentially being a problem. Obviously, that could extend to Mixon as well. And we also talked about how if you fall behind in games, that can really benefit a quarterback that's going to air it out. And it might not always uh, benefit, you know, a three down back, something like that. Um, but with Joe Mixon, we got no Gio Bernard. I don't know how long it's been. How long was Gio's stint in Cincinnati? Seemed like it was like a decade. Well, um, he, yeah, he just he, this offseason is the only time he's been kicked. He, he's now with the Bucks this year, Tom right, Brady right. over there in Tampa. So this is our first right. time without him on the Bengals, Mr. Mustache. Right. So Gio's got a Super Bowl ring in his future, probably. Oh, yeah. um, no Gio, no Rooks, unstoppable offense. Joe Mixon, you like what's going on with him? I, I, I mean, is that. It's so tricky because Mixon's boned us two years in a row now. Oh, he's boned us. He he really has. And, like, we've seen the flashes in both seasons. We see, you know, the 40-point week winners. And then we see just a lot of inconsistency uh, throughout it. And so that has me a little bit nervous, right? Are we going to get another one of those seasons where Mixon's pissing us off? But I, I don't see how it can't be just an absolute workhorse feeding with Gio Bernard now gone. Uh, we saw, we, we cited those stats about how pass happy they were. Well, in that same span, well, while we had Joe Burrow out there, those first six, six weeks where the Mixon was out there, uh, he got hurt after that. He led the NFL in opportunities being carries and uh, receptions for running backs well, during that span. So we already saw him kind of being a workhorse with Gio Bernard on the roster. And whenever Gio Bernard has missed time uh, over the last few seasons, Mixon's never had below a 15 to 20% target share, which is a huge spike, a hugely important spike for this guy. So if this offense does become that juggernaut, I really think it could be with Jamar Chase here. And if there's nobody else to feed the rock to, I don't see how Joe Mixon doesn't kill it. Their offensive coordinator has already said, I don't want him to leave the field. I want him to be out there every single play. And I know that might give you some nightmares back to, you know, CJ Spiller. We're going to feed him till he pukes type uh, of quote. That. <laughs> but ultimately, I think it's a, a huge move uh, getting rid of Gio Bernard, adding nobody before round six. Like, there's no competition here for Joe Mixon to get 350 touches in what I think could be one of the better offenses in the league. I think that I think this is the year it all comes together all right. and Mixon repays those of us who had faith in him. <laughs> all right. I just don't think I'm drafting him. You're not going to go back to the I don't. I mean, I don't know. I say that, but who knows? Who knows? And, and honestly, Matt, Matt – Matt, Matt, I might, I might end up being with you here only because the guys that go around mixing, we're going to talk about two of them right now. And I love them. A lot of these sophomore backs, uh, we're going to talk about three of them throughout the show. I, I have mixing right in that same tier and I might end up going for one of these sophomores because there's a lot that I love about these guys as we're about to break down. All right. Well, let's get into one of them. Antonio Gibson featured back in Washington. Oh, prime to explode. First of all, are they going to name this team at some point? (laughs) <laughs> doesn't seem like it. I think they're just going to be the football. <laughs> okay. They are just the football. All right. Well, I mean, the, all reports about them as an actual team, name aside, are pretty positive. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is looking up. I think, as we talked about in our last show a couple months ago, Ryan Fitzmagic landing there is going to turn that entire offense around. I think you think about how decent they were already, given the defense is, is very formidable. And, you know, Alex Smith, kind of manage his way to like a decent rec, decent enough record to get in. I think that that flips with Ryan Fitzmagic, like elevating everything and making this offense dangerous. 
They certainly have the weapons between Terry McLaurin, Gibson, who we're about to talk about. Logan Thomas was a piece. They add Diami Brown in the draft. Like there is certainly some weaponry. And Curtis Samuel added this offseason. I mean, they they are going to take a big step as an offense. And I think that is humongous, humongous, humongous for Antonio Gibson because he was one of the most game script dependent guys last year. Uh, in the wins and, and games they won, he averaged over 20 fantasy points per game, 20 and a half. And games that they lost, he averaged 14 points per game. So literally the difference, like a six-point difference between yeah. those. And if we have now a more explosive offense, guess what? That means better game scripts. That means more Antonio Gibson. That means more 20-point fantasy days. Now, granted, McKissick's still there. It's not like we're going to just suddenly get like a full true workhorse we don't think but it was also like Ron Rivera did have Christian McCaffrey as a rookie, kind of eased him in a bit, and then unloaded him as a sophomore. Yeah, Don't be shocked because Gibson, again, was a converted receiver. It's not like he can't catch. He was a better pass catcher than a running back when he came out, and he proved to be an amazing running back by the end of last year. So if we get that like three-down complete horse, man, it could be a monstrous – given the, the better offense under Ryan Fitzmagic, the improved game flow. He already was so efficient, tied seventh in red zone touchdowns at nine on only 29 attempts. I think this guy could really approach 14, 15 touchdowns. So he's already going to have a great floor. If he gets the receiving work, he could end up being a league winner. All right. Well, speaking of sophomore backs, DeAndre Swift, improved line plus huge target share uh, results in being a veteran. He's now a veteran. He's in his second year. He's a veteran riser. It's official. Absolutely. I love everything about him. First, you look at Sewell being added, a generational tackle who's praised for his athleticism, which is going to be huge in the screen game, which is where Swift is most dangerous. You're getting this monster just constantly steamrolling for you. One of the best run blockers, pass protectors, everything about Sewell, like which I would have loved him to go to the Bengals for. Hey, fell to the Lions and they went and took him. I love it. I love that their new head coach, Dan Campbell, hired Anthony Lynn, a very run-heavy guy. They're going to be a hard-nosed team. They've already talked about like biting kneecaps. I'm sure you've seen all those weird-ass quotes. But that's going to be their identity is the run game. And they didn't add anybody else other than Jamal Williams. Come on, I'm not that worried about Jamal Williams being added. Uh, They've already talked about Deuce Staley, the running back coach, how Swift is a 25-touch guy. Well, he's only had five career games with 12 or more carries. Really? Let's, let's just go down those law. Yeah, it, which is insulting. It's pay, painful. I don't know why. It's kind of like A.J. Brown when we talked about We'll talk about him a little bit. Like, why don't you give the rock to your best player more? Especially when he produces this way. 17 touches, three receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns. 16 touches, 97 yards. 21 touches, 150 yards, a TD. 19 touches, 82 yards, two TDs. 15 touches, 70 yards, a TD. That was an average of 21.22 points per game when he saw 12 carries. We're just talking about 12 carries. That's nothing crazy. Not 12 carries is all we're asking for. And he averaged 20 over 21 points per game. That would have been the RB3 last year. Oh, and, and let's not forget that Detroit has vacated 243 carries from last year with Adrian Peterson and Carrion Johnson now gone and 360 targets from last year. Both are over 60% of that volume. So we're looking yeah. at a massive volume share and a run heavy attack that has just historically been very kind to running backs. And a guy that when he's gotten the volume was on a pace for the running back three season. If, as long as he stays healthy, I don't see any way, way this guy falls outside your, your top 10 running backs and he's fallen to you know, late round two, maybe even early round three at times. Love him. I absolutely love Deandre Swift this year. Uh, this is one that I'm, in full agreement with you on. I really am. I who do, you, who do you prefer between him and Gibson? I have a tough time deciding between those two. I think I prefer Swift. 
I I have Swift. I think one spot higher than Gibson. That whole. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's like a slam dunk or anything like that. I also I know. I also have Washington football team uh, negative bias, so yeah, that might that might have been the tiebreaker. It could be. All right, other improved line benefactors, Austin Eckler, and of course Cook is going to benefit from this as well, in theory. Yes, right. and I got to add one name to that list oh, as please. I pull it back up, please. and that is going to be Clydesdale Edwards-Hilaire. Has to be also on that list. Did you just uh, call him Clydesdale? Clydesdale Hilaire. Yes, of course I did. Uh, did you just coin that right now, or is that like something that they're calling him? Is that what the I, kids are calling him? That's what the cool kids are calling him, at least. Okay. All yes. right. Fair enough. Ah. Uh, but respectively, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the, the Vikings landed on Pro Football Focus's most improved list at one, two, and three uh, in terms of most improved lines. And that's obviously going to help everybody involved, but especially the running backs. You look at what the LA Chargers did. They were number 32 in Pro Football Focus's ranking last year, like under 50 in pass protection, under 50 in run blocking. Horrendous. They bring in first Corey Lindsay. Lindsay, we talked about him on the free agency one, the highest rated center from last year, never been below 70 in pass protection, but always in the 80th percentile and run blocking as well. Awesome move. Matt Filer from the, the Steelers, not the best guy, but versatile, can move him around and graded above average all last year. And then they have Rashawn Slater fall to them in the draft. Uh, unbelievable pick. Many rated him in the top 10 of their prospects he ended up falling to them, the second-rated tackle behind only Sewell. So you're just looking at a completely overhauled unit. Uh, Brian Beluga, their best lineman, returns from last year. They could go from the worst to not the first, but probably top 15 within a single year. And that's, of course, going to help Austin Eckler, who had no competition added. Uh, I think he's just going to be featured. They've already talked about featuring him like Alvin Kamara because their new offensive coordinator came over from the Saints, and he'd be perfect in that type of role. So I love this for Austin Eckler. Huge, huge game. Then you look at the Chiefs. Uh, you know, they talk about how this is like the last part of the infinity stone for Mah- uh, Mahomes there. Cause he just, he's obviously so ridiculous. You know, they have such insane talent, but the line, we saw it in the Super Bowl. It ended up taking him down. That ended up biting him in the ass. What do they do? They trade a first round pick and get Orlando Brown from the Ravens, an absolute monster who graded above 76 in pass protection and run blocking. Monster. They go inside Joe Tooney to a five year, 80 million deal. Again, top five in run blocking and pass protection last year. They draft Creed Humphrey who was lot as one of the best value picks at center in the entire draft. Uh, you know, one of the top three guys in most draft boards fell all the way to 63. All right, let's scoop him on up. So the first two of the first three picks ended up going to securing this line. Kyle Long comes out of retirement, a former three-time pro bowler, just so he can jump aboard this team. I mean, that is going to be just like the Chargers, a completely revamped line. And for all the reasons why it should have been, why it needed to be, a revamped line and obviously Hilaire. How many times have we see him getting stuffed behind the line at the goal line? Like just getting destroyed. This is going to go a huge way to improving his touchdown equity. You already have, D- you know, they, they didn't bring back Damian Williams, which could have been a true thorn in his side. Le'Veon Bell is gone. I think we, we've seen this a lot with Andy Reid backs is they don't do much in the first year. And then year two is when they really start to take off, especially when you get this type of line improvement. I love it. And then Dalvin Cook, the last one, the Vikings, they trade down from number 14 and they end up getting the guy they were hoping to get uh, there anyways. And Kristen Darisaw, a hugely athletic guy from Virginia Tech, perfect for this zone blocking scheme. Uh, the number three tackle somehow, again, fell all the way to 23. They also ended up using the, the 66 pick when they traded down to get Wyatt Davis right there. 
a beastly guard from Ohio State. Uh, they had two first round, you know, a first rounder in Garrett Bradbury last year on the line. So back to back years doing that. Ezra Cleveland was lauded as a great pick last year. Neither one was stellar as rookies, but you got to imagine year two, full offseason, they developed too. Another one of those lines that just two years ago was a laughing stock is now going to be greatly improved. And we've already seen what Talvin Cook does, even behind a bad line. You give him a, a mediocre line. Oh, man. So I, I love this. For, for Eckler, for Cook, you were already going to love those guys anyways, but it, also Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, if you weren't thinking he's going to bounce back, like I, I'm buying low in all dynasty leagues. I'm going to go get this Me guy. Too. I, I love everything about him. I think he rebounds huge. All right, we mentioned A.J. Brown a minute ago in the Tennessee offense. Gazillion, gazillion targets for elite talent. I love this um, banner for a couple reasons. First of all, any banner with the word gazillion in it, I'm all in on. But also, oh, yeah. gazillion targets for elite talent, and then in parentheses, and Ferkser. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want you to think we're calling him elite talent. We're going to put exactly. him in parentheses next to it. Just But the targets are there. <laughs> they sure are. They right. sure are. 224 targets voided, the third most in the league. Not quite on the Lions level. We talked about DeAndre Swift, but not too far away either. Uh, definitely a big target void with Davis, Johnu, and Humps gone. We talked about this on the last pod, but I was like, okay, they're probably going to add like a receiver in the first round and – you know, AJ Brown's still going to see a million targets, but hey, he, at least you know he, he's going to be the clear number one. And, and a first round talent comes in, whatever. They didn't add a guy at wide receiver till the fourth round. Some guy named Dez Fitzpatrick. Now, granted, any receiver named Dez has to be somewhat in your heart. Uh, Dez, it's right. Dez, come on. But I, right. a lot of draft people are saying this is not. This was a reach. Like, why did this guy get drafted where he did? They added another six round guy, Racy McNath, but. Very rarely do we see these fourth and, and later guys pan out. So, like, really, that's his competition for targets. I mean, how are you not hucking every single throw? Like, kind of like Devontae Adams over there with the Packers. When you're throwing, why would you not be throwing every single look to A.J. Brown? And we cited this stat last time, but it's even more firmly in place now. He's only seen nine-plus targets in five games. His 16-game pace when he's seen nine or more targets was 115 receptions, 1,792 yards, and 16 touchdowns. That would have been 24 points per game. That would have been more than what Devontae Adams did in a record-setting year for fantasy points last year. And that is very realistic. That would be 163 targets a game to keep that pace up. I could see this guy legitimately, like, his target total having a two in the front of it. It could be 200-something. And he's just going to go berserk. Round two, this guy, if you have your horse and you can get this guy in round two, I would not be shocked, especially if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play this year, to see A.J. Brown being the number one scoring receiver. How confident are you in the – do you like the uh, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown stack? I do because it's just one of those offenses that's so condensed to like, it's these two guys. It's these two guys and that's it. And at first, Ferkser plus Ferkser. Right, like, and he, you want to get Ferkser in a late round. You know, Coop, right? you, can, you can chuck him in there because he's probably going to be the number two target. And when he's seen five targets or more, he's had some pretty decent days. He had 115 and a TD in one of them. He had like 50 yards in the other, and then he kind of did jack shit. But that's what you expect from your tight end. So off the top of your head, off yeah. the top of your head, what tight end would you say Ferkser is right now? I think he's like my tight end, like 14, 15. Like okay, right so now, like right? like very fringe starter. 
Very fringe starter. Yeah. Okay. If I if I go into my season with him as my starter, I want to have like a very I, I want the tight end 14 and 15. Like right. I want you want another guy in. around his level, right? Okay. Take I take a you. couple stabs. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't hate him by any means, but I love, 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 and it, everybody loves it. Like, who doesn't love AJ Brown? It's gonna be one of those classic ones like Godwin two years ago, and you know, last year Calvin Ridley, but even more so than that. Like, everyone's gonna love him, everyone's gonna want him. And whoever does take that plunge in round two is going to just be the one giving everyone the middle finger. Like, of course, this is obvious and we all love right. him, but I got him. Thank right. God. <laughs> all right. Uh, Alan Robinson. I got this guy dirt cheap in an auction last year and it, he really did well for me. Mooney, Komet, all rise with the addition of fields. I would tend to agree with that assessment. I think that's not really even a hot take, but uh, no. you talk about some veteran guys uh, shooting up because of uh, a quarterback coming in. Here you go. Absolutely. I mean, think about who Allen Robinson's played with. You had him last year, as you said, and he was good for you. Like he, he was a, he quality, was a good. Oh yeah, he was good. Quality. I, I want to say he finished like top eight as a fantasy receiver last year. He definitely was, was a top ten guy. Definitely. That was Trubisky and Nick Foles sailing pass after pass over his head, over Mooney, over Komet. Horrendous play. Justin Fields is going to immediately be the best quarterback Allen Robinson has played with. When that list includes Mitch Trubisky, Chase Blake Daniel, Bortles, right? Blake Bortles, it was was previously the best probably, and Chad Henney, all below wow. like 65 or worse in terms of their grades from PFF. Like horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And Robinson, Do any of those guys have starting jobs anymore? No. Oh, God, no. No, Trubisky's backing up Allen. He's like the only one in the league still, I think. Bortles, Bortles actually, he's at the Packers now. Like, if Rodgers doesn't come back, he might have a starting job. But Oh, wow. That would be really something. Right? Crazy. And Absolute Foles, crazy. Let's, not, let's not forget that big Super Bowl win for Nick Foles. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, still, Allen Robinson, back to the man of the hour. He's, he's going to be a beast. Like, this is the best person he's ever caught passes from, and he's been a top 12 guy with garbage thrown to him. You have to love that. And, like, the complaint about Justin Fields from a lot of people, which I don't think is accurate, but if it is, it's good for Allen Robinson, was that he doesn't go through his reads, that he locks on to his number one target. Well, if that's the case, then, sweet, you have a pretty right. goddamn good number one target to just – light light the lamp with because how many times have we seen robinson go over guys be triple covered like yeah. make the play he's going to be a stud he's going to be an absolute stud and his adp hasn't really changed from last year to reflect the fact that he's playing with the best quarterback ever but i really think like of all the winners we already knew robinson was going to beast we, we already knew he was going to feast but darnell mooney this guy runs a four three eight. Was just burning defenses left and right wide open the separation this guy gained was insane he received the 15th most targets in the league because of it on 20-plus yard uh, deep passes, but 70% of those were deemed uncatchable. There was a 17% completion rate on deep passes for this guy. There, There's montages out there of just the Ducks being sailed over Mooney when he is just streaking down the field wide open. Well, enter Justin Fields, who completed nearly 60% of his passes over 20-plus yards. Uh, he was that was only behind Mac Jones of this class and Joe Burrow last year. So in the last two years, he's top three in deep passing accuracy. He's top six in the last five years, and seventy percent. He led the league with seventy percent uh, of his passing yards being air yards. So not a ton of yak. It was all kind of deep strikes. This guy just delivers it. He delivers the rock deep. He delivers it short. I can't believe he fell as far as he did. He fell right into their laps. I think that's going to make a huge world of difference for a guy like Darnell Mooney who can get deep with the best of them, but just never got the right uh, quality of targets when he was getting there. So I love it for him. And then obviously Komet, you know, six foot five guy, the number one tight end of last year. 
it doesn't hurt when you have an offense that's going to be living in the, maybe not living in the red zone, but certainly visiting the red zone a whole lot more under mm-hmm. Justin Fields. Well, that's where Komet is going to be using his beastly frame with a more pinpoint passer. It's just a huge win for everybody involved in this offense, especially the pass catchers. All right, speaking of tight ends, TJ Hawkinson, main valve for that Detroit offense. We talked about the Detroit offense in the context of, of Swift earlier, um, and we've got plus Perryman at the end here. Um, I, I don't see any way Hawkinson's uh, stock doesn't go up. I, I, and I thought his stock was already pretty high, to be honest. Yeah, I, we talked about him a couple episodes ago, and the expectation was we were like joking, like it's guaranteed they're going to add like Jamar Chase or Waddle or Smith. Like they have to at the first round. And then they didn't. And then they didn't add one, someone in the second round or the third round. They didn't make a receiver move in the draft until round four. And there's a very low hit rate of round four receivers like doing anything more than 75 targets. I think it's like one in the last like 20 has seen Det- more than Detroit not known for their drafting acumen. No, they're not. I do say, I will say, I love that they went Sewell. Like he was the best player there. They're kind of, they're clearly building their identity. And I don't mind it for sure. Hawkinson. That's for damn sure. Because what Sewell adds, the fact that like they're not going to need to keep Hawkinson in line to help in pass protection like they've had to plenty of times in the past with their crap line. They've really secured that and it made it, that a big focal point. I think that's going to really help him. It's not that they can just move him out wide and have him be their Darren Waller, have them be their George Kittle, their Travis Kelsey. He's one of the very few guys in the league that you can say is firmly on the top of their t- t- target totem pole as a tight end. I love it. You got 360 targets up for grabs, 64%. That's 120 more than the next closest Jaguars last year. I I absolutely – and then again, they added nobody. Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams in a fourth-round rookie. Like, this, he's going to be the entire passing game. And this defense, like we've talked about a lot of these, still absolutely sucks. I mean, this is their their depth chart net. Quintez Cephas, 20 catches as a rookie. Tyrell Williams, 43 receptions. Hasn't had more than 43 since 2016. Tyrell Williams? Tyrell Williams. Remember that guy? <laughs> Tyrell Williams. Like, we haven't seen him in three years. He's he's maybe their number one. Didn't receiver. we have a guest on once who just absolutely loved Tyrell Williams? Was it Mitch? Was it Mitch, Mitch Renz? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> throwing him under the bus. <laughs> we can't remember. It, so it was probably Mitch Renz. <laughs> just about. Brashad Perriman hasn't had more than 36 catches in any of his five seasons in the league. Khalif Raymond, 19 receptions. Geronimo Allison, never more than 34 catches. Uh, St. Brown, you know, as we were saying, a fourth round rookie. So like maybe he does okay, but nothing. They got nothing. They've got nothing proven on this roster other than Hawkinson, who right. was compared to Travis Kelsey for how complete of a tight end he is. And as we, I think that I gave this stat, the last out about him before we get to the next guy is in the games, seven times where he's seen uh, eight or more targets. He's put up over 15 fantasy points per game uh, is a 244 fantasy point season that would have been right on Darren Waller's he, uh, heels last year and above everybody else is the tight end three uh, okay. for fantasy. And I, I don't see any way he doesn't see at least eight targets a game because he's literally the only dependable target they have right now. All right. Well, we're going to continue talking about Rashad Perriman a little bit. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Perriman, are they now de facto number ones just by just because they haven't gotten anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, right? Like, yeah. exactly. I mean, Brashad Perriman is probably their number one wide receiver. Again, I think Hawkinson's going to be their top target uh, by a long shot. But 
in terms of wideout, it's probably going to be Perriman. Uh, and he's been solid in his last few stops with the Bucks, with the Jets for glimpses. He's never really put together a full solid season. We said, I don't think he's ever had more than like 36 catches across a single career year. So he's never been like a dominant alpha, but we've seen dominant alpha stretches. I mean, he was actually two years ago in 2019, the most owned player on championship rosters when he was with the Bucks, because we saw Mike Evans go down. We saw Godwin go down and then Perriman was picked up by all the people still in their leagues and still contending. And he ended up having a monstrous late run stretch as their number one target. So we've seen him do it as an alpha. It just has never been consistent. And that's kind of the, the rub there. But Goff has had a couple top 10 deep thrown seasons. He's also had a couple bottom 10 deep thrown seasons. I do think at out wide, Perriman's probably going to be their best bet. And so this is more so the reason I lumped these guys together is they're going to be like the de facto number ones. And so in best ball, like you might only get two or three great games out of them, but you're going to get a 20 something point game out of Paraman at some point. And you're going to get a 20 point something game out of Nelson Aguilar as the number one guy on the Patriots right now. He had a few monster games last year. He had his best year of his career, averaged a, you know, career high 15.7 yards uh, depth of target, 18.7 yards per catch uh, was insane. Like he was going deep with the best of them. And Cam Newton, for all his faults, was actually pretty solid at going deep last year, completing almost 53% of his throws, uh, 15 or more yards. And that was, you know, fifth among quarterbacks. So as bad as Cam was, he what? was actually decent. Yeah, I, I, you think about all the horrible throws we saw from Cam. Most yeah, of them I'm thinking about him right now. Yeah, it, it was awful. And you look at like the actual analytics, he was pretty decent at deep throwing. It was, it was the short throws that you're just like, come on, dude. It's, he's five yards from you. Don't throw it at his fucking feet. He was actually lobbing some pretty good deep bombs last year, and Aguilar was thriving on him with another team. So if Cam remains the quarterback, it's not doom and gloom. But the reason he's really a winner is because Mac Jones completed – we talked about Justin Fields completing 60% of his, his deep throws. Mac Jones was 74% of his deep passes last year. I mean, this guy is – Unbelievable arm. Yeah, count. but okay, but and, and let, of course, let's, let's back up just a little bit here. Who he's throwing to, all that. I get it. Like, uh, of course, he had I mean, some elite weapons. It's not just who he's throwing to; it's who he's throwing against. Yes, throwing against course. you know college cornerbacks that often like aren't even on good teams. Still legit though. Still higher than still, any of the other okay. college. Still better than Trevor Lawrence. Better than everybody. He's second in the last six years. So still a, a decent, decent stat to have in your back pocket for a deep weapon. And now with Edelman gone, like, yes, I, I think the tight ends are probably going to be a bigger focal point of the passing attack. But in terms of wide receivers, I think Aguilar, they're going to move them all over the place. They're going to get him deep down the field. And similar to Perriman in these best ball formats where you just need a couple big spike weeks. And these guys are both falling outside round 12, 13 as the number one receivers. They're, they're definitely going to provide a few spike games in best ball. Maybe not season long, huge investments, but two big winners out wide, in my opinion. Okay. Before we move on to our last winner, and this is actually our, our last vet riser. And then we're going to move on to losers or fallers. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call them losers, but fallers, <laughs> <Huge> losers. <laughs> fallers certainly. All uh, right. End of the season. We can call them losers for now. They're fallers. But I want to ask you, who's the worst wide receiver one in the league? I, I think it's got to be Perriman. <laughs> like, so whoever the Lions guy is. Because obviously, again, I think – I was going to say Perriman also. <laughs> it's got to be them. Tyrell Williams, Perriman, whoever ends up being the Lions number one is definitely the worst. Okay. I yeah. agree. But Aguilar's <laughs> probably close behind. Like, right, Aguilar's maybe like the third worst. These are the, the two worst, but that's why they're best ball guys. It's like they're going to, as the number one, have a couple big games this year for sure. All right. Um, last riser 
Adam Trotman, Traquan Smith, they face minimal new competition. This is kind of another de facto type thing. I mean, no one comes in, you're there, you look around, you're like, hey, I'm the guy. Yeah. And especially when, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, their number two guy, 82 targets are now vacated and up for grabs. Smith enters this year, you know, coming off career highs and targets, 50 receptions, 34 yardage, 448 and four touchdowns. He's never been a monster. We've been waiting for it. We had our guy Nick Underhill on and he was loving this guy and it just has never panned out. But Underhill wrote a great article, which I was reading today about maybe this quarterback switch will end up actually being a positive for him. Because what does Traquan Smith do good? It's going deep. It's the posts. It's the verticals. It's all that stuff. He entered the league averaging 13.8 yards per target from college, which was leading all college football players when he came in out of Central Florida. The go, the post, the fade, the seam, those deep crossing routes, those were his routes. And when you look at it, Jameis Winston, who's probably going to be the quarterback, has averaged 800 more yards on those routes than Drew Brees had last year. So like that is wow. and one of the touchdowns was one of James Winston's only throws last year, deep fade to Traquan Smith. That was one of Smith's only touchdowns when Taysom Hill took over and Taysom Hill, like we know is not the passer like Drew Brees. He does have a bigger arm and he sits in the pocket and lets it, lets it go, go after it during Hill's four starts. When Traquan Smith was at uh, 11 yards per game, he ended up jumping to 16 yards per reception with, wow. with Jason Hill there. So, I mean, like a worse quarterback in, in all theory ended up being a better fit for, for Traquan Smith and what he does. And again, it's he goes deep. And with nobody else added, and Emmanuel Sanders removed, to me it seems like he's the clear-cut number two of this offense on a, a with a quarterback that's actually going to benefit him rather than hurt him with Drew Brees leaving. So I love that for him. And then Adam Troutman, you got Jared Cook on. And they added a couple tight ends, but they were all both blocking tight ends. And the, the coach came out and said, we did that so we could free Troutman up and, and move him around. And we've seen how creative they have been with tight ends since Jimmy Graham, since Jared Cook, second in touchdowns the last couple of years there. They love using their tight ends, especially in the red zone. I think this is going to be the Troutman show. We've always seen it, rookies tend to, at the tight end position, just for whatever reason, evolve a lot slower than other positions. It typically takes till at least their sophomore year for a breakout. So the fact that he didn't do much last year doesn't have me overly worried. They had this guy as their top tight end coming in. Uh, he's six foot five, 255 at 95th percentile in agility, 82nd percentile in catch radius, which you're going to need with these quarterbacks just chucking up prayers. I really like Troutman, and you also had the highest run blocking grade of tight ends last year. So he can kind of do it all. And I could see him taking just this big step as a, a kind of a nobody into a top 15, maybe even top 10 tight end next year in an offense that has typically fed them voluminously. There's like just nobody else there behind Michael Thomas and obviously Alvin Kamara. But there, there has always been a clear number three, whether that was Cook, whether whoever that was. That's wide up for grabs, whether that ends up being Traquan, whether that ends up being Troutman. Maybe they both have good breakout seasons. I think they actually benefit from a quarterback that's willing to sling that thing. All right. The Wolf has told me people don't want to hear about the fallers. So we're going to rattle through these like real time. We're going to we're going to go through these quickly. Uh, we'll see. Does he have that in him? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Let's start <laughs> there's with two, there's two I have to like take my time on because it is genuinely important. They're guys that I had in my top like 30 that are now outside my top 70. Like oh, they, you, they, some of them were even in my top 15. And now they're outside my top 70. So you like, man, manage this the way you want to manage it. Just remember yes. that Jeopardy is a thing and you're in a relationship. 
All right. Do my best to preserve. Early, as of now, right this second, you're in a relationship. <laughs> 735, 740, maybe not. <laughs> that, All right. that could change things. <laughs> All right. All right. James Robinson, single biggest loser of the offseason. That's a nice punchy banner. I love it. Yeah. And it's true. You got to pour one out. Take a big for our fallen hero here. Single best waiver pickup of last year, late round selection if you, you're a late drafter. Sixth in running back opportunities, seventh in fantasy points, fifth in rushing, all from being undrafted in real life and fantasy. Just a true heroic, like folklore tale of a hero. And what's, he, what's his reward? What's his repayment? Urban Meyer trades back into the first round and takes a running back to slap him right in the face with. Awful. It just sucks. And he's already said, oh, I, I, I hate Urban wrong. Meyer, by the way. I, I hate him. I think it's going to be a disaster. I think he's such a dipshit. I like, think he is a complete dipshit. Such like a disingenuous asshole. Yep. I think it's going to be a dumpster fire. It's going to be like Chip Kelly. Like, and Chip Kelly at least had one good year. I don't think we're even going to get a good year out of Urban Meyer. Uh, the, the more and more he does, like signing to people, all this shit, the, the less and less I believe in anything good coming. Yeah, was anybody guys. like on that move? I know we're talking about James Robinson, but did, do you know anybody that was like, oh, yeah, that's a great move? Great move. Yeah. Bringing this guy back who hasn't been here in six years to play a position he's never played. Love I know it. one guy who thinks it's a good move and he's like borderline insane, like in other areas of his life. Yeah. So, anyway. That's probably the only reason then. Yes. Right. Uh, Urban Meyer's already come out and said, I see uh, this James Robinson, Carlos Hyde is the early one to punch. Uh, ETN is a third down back. So a three-headed nightmare, which oh, great. Honestly, like I, I don't think it's even going to be a three-headed nightmare. I think eventually ETN takes over. That's the guy. You you don't have an undrafted free agent from an old regime, uh, then have the new regime spend a first-round pick on a running back and then feel good about this undrafted free agent that they have no stock in. Like As good as he was, as much as I just think James Robinson deserves to be their feature guy, they clearly don't view it that way, and I don't care what I think. I care what they think, and that that's what's going to dictate the volume here. Right. Uh, so ultimately, with that much of a, a three-headed nightmare, like you got Carlos Hyde maybe being a vulture on the goal line. Trevor Lawrence himself is pretty mobile, and if Tebow ends up actually being a thing, like you got to He's not even going to make the team, dude. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Urban Meyer's an idiot. Maybe he will. It, and maybe he will, and, and he I could see them doing like a Taysom Hill stupid thing at the goal line with yeah, him. Yeah, so. I could see that too. And then exactly. and it, like on the one time that it works and being like, oh, Urban Meyer's a look genius. At, yeah, look at look at this. So you got the goal line role in Jeopardy. You have Etienne obviously staling all the receiving work because he's significantly better than Robinson at that. And you have Etienne being a threat to just be a bell cow and just take over this backfield completely. So ultimately to me, I – I just think this is a three-headed nightmare, and, and James Robinson's on the wrong side of all of it. So I want no, nothing to do with him. And it sucks because, like I said, he was he was top twenty on my big board coming into the draft. Yeah, He's but, now like bottom eighty. Like, what's the point of having him at this point? There, there's none. I hope he gets traded for dynasty leaguers because in Jacksonville, I don't see James Robinson having any value until he's somewhere else. I agree a hundred percent with all of your takes on that. Yeah, um, Melvin Gordon, not far behind with Javante on his heels. Absolutely. And, and talking to Thor on Tuesday, uh, I go, okay, so what's Javante mean for Melvin Gordon? He goes, Melvin Gordon better get in touch with his real estate agent because he's going to be looking for a new job soon. Right. Javante is that good. He was Thor's number one ranked running back uh, ahead of Najee Harris. 
because of how one tackle churning machine, the most ever in pro football focus, broken tackles in terms of rush rate. Insane what this guy did. The, the Denver Broncos have already come out and said, this guy's a three down back. We think he's special. We couldn't pass on him. He's really good on first and second downs. He can pass protect. He can catch the ball. He's a gift player. We call them gift players because uh, they're gifts. They're exceptional off the field, on the field. We needed this guy. And so they, they trade up. They, they didn't just let him fall. It wasn't like, oh, he's there and this guy we love. They traded up. They made sure to go get him. Pat Shermer has been a bell cow breeder in the past. Yeah, there's talking, oh, no, Melvin Gordon's the leader. And we, we love Mike Boone. And we're going to keep all of them involved because they all bring different things. You don't trade up for this guy, Javante, who is really, really good, who is better than Melvin Gordon. This is your guy. You don't go up and get him and then let him rot in a three-headed committee. Maybe that's how they start the year. But even if that's the best case for Melvin Gordon's a three-headed committee, like eventually he's going to be usurped and Javante is going to be the, the, the three down back, no doubt about it. At best case, you're getting three guys eating at his heels. And I, I was looking at Gordon as one of the biggest winners of the offseason when Lindsey was gone, when the offense was getting better. And to me now, he is behind James Robinson. Uh, as the the second biggest loser, it's not really even close. I think he's going to be, and I think this is the last year of his contract too. So it's going to be one of those things where right. let's let's get our rookie, let's get our future going, and, and screw Melvin Gordon. I have nothing. I want nothing to do with this guy. No matter how good I think he might be himself, no matter how decent he was last year for us, not this year. Want nothing to do with him. All right. So those were, those were your two guys you needed to spend a little time on. The right? next guys I can just rip through. All right. Cam Newton, far less draftability with uncertain leash. Far, that's an understatement of the fucking century. Yeah. Cause it's not like you were like, we go get this guy last year. I was like, ah, he's going to be my sixth round sleeper pick. No, <laughs> nobody was sitting no here. How good those deep balls he throws are, which I, I, I still contend is not true. It, I don't know where those st- – it's just crazy that, like, th- those are the stats. Right. Did you get those stats off some guy at yeah. a bus stop that was just, like, <laughs> muttering to himself? And you were like, oh, yep, oh exactly. hot take. Like, exactly. Don't tell any of the other fantasy guys this. I'm going to say oh, it on man. But the reason – like, if, if Cam was the only guy, if you had into the year with Cam being the quarterback, well – ultimate Konami code. He had 12 red zone touchdowns last year. That's like the third most, even including running backs. Like the guy at least had some draftability because you, you were getting the rushing upside. He had some monster games. Now you had a full off season to get worked in. And I was like, okay, I think Cam stocks looking like I might be able to take a stab at this guy. But then you had in Mac Jones, who was clearly a hundred times better a passer without even stepping on the NFL field at this stage of their career. Like he's, he's going to be nipping at his heels all year. At some point, you've got to imagine the wheels get turned over, the reins get turned over to Mac Jones. So now it's like, when does that happen? So maybe Cam has a handful of decent days early on in the season. Maybe not. <laughs> he didn't show much as a passer last year. And as soon as he starts to falter, you know he's getting the axe. Like when there's guys like Ryan Fitzmagic, and we talked about Tua earlier, just like there's just so many guys. Matt Ryan obviously was already ahead of him, but like the quarterback position is so deep. I don't need to take a veteran that has a, a rookie nipping at their heels all year that could get pulled at any minute and cost me a week. Like, nah, no thanks. Don't want them. All right. T and Boyd, they are immediately falling to number two and number three in targets. Yep. That's that's just what we talked about with Jamar Chase earlier. Like, he's walking in. He's the alpha. It's kind of like the the freaking uh, – what's that movie? I'm the captain now, Captain Phillips. Like, <laughs> I, I, this is my job. Thank you guys for warming up my seat. I am I am Joe Burrow's boy, and I am the captain. You guys can fall in line. Now, we talked about how big this aerial pie was. They led the league in pass attempts and, and neutral pass attempts, all that stuff with Joe Burrow healthy. So I do think this pie is going to be big enough to sustain at least two. 
And my guess would obviously be Jamar Chase and T. Higgins because I think both of those guys are beasts. I really do like Tyler Boyd as a player too. But to me, it, it's going to definitely be the Jamar Chase. So it, T. Higgins most likely is going to get a smaller slice of the pie. But don't be surprised if it's like a tastier slice because it's going to be more red zone volume where he's just those long arms and that big body. Like T is going to be a beast with that. To me, I think Boyd might end up being the true loser here. As good as he is, he's going to be great for the slot and have like a nice real-life role for this team at moving the chains. I just don't see many touchdowns, many big plays coming for Boyd when you have these other guys there. So as good as his real-life purpose will be, I think he's going to be the odd man out, get the smallest sliver of pie and the least valuable, the least tasty slice of that pie. Uh, So I think those guys are pretty decent loser, especially T- Tyler Boyd, less so T Higgins, but either way, they're, they're, they're both moving down the target per totem pole for Jamar Chase. Marquise Brown, man, this guy hosed me last year. I, I, I wanted to be a fan of his so bad. I yeah. tried I, even up to like week 10. I was still like, Oh, you could still do some, man. Anyway, <laughs> that's why you fucked us all Matt. It's because we kept saying, this is going to be the week. As soon as I put him on my bench, he's going to blow up. And he just, Never blew up. Like no, he really didn't. He had like a couple good games, but they weren't even like maybe that awesome. I don't know. The most I mean, you you believed had. in him too, right? Uh, sure, absolutely. I was taking yeah. him round six, seven. I thought like you know the the Tyree kill, the next Tyree kill, right? Like, oh man, <laughs> so many of those guys. I, so many of them. But I mean, I got guys. to see him because he was on my fantasy team, and so I, I watched him a lot. And I mean, they did make a real effort to have him be their number one receiver. And, that's and just not he's him. not he's not cut out for it. He's just not. No, um, he's going to be a great This headline sends this. Well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you've got this headline really says it all. He's a lid lifter only now. He's a clear second fiddle. We'll see if he's uh, like a legit wide receiver, too. And not and, just a guy who every four games maybe catches a long touchdown or something. And like that's that. what I was going to say is he won't be a wide receiver, too, in fantasy. No. Life wise, he's going to serve a oh, nice right. purpose. Like he, he's going to lift the lid. He's going to do his thing. But yeah, he never topped his highest scoring game was week 17 when you're not even playing. Right. He had, 20, he had 21 points. Like it wasn't, he never had a single top 12 week as a wide receiver. So th- that's really all you need to know about this guy is when he could have been the focal point, he couldn't rise to the occasion. So yeah, drawing secondary coverages might get him a little more free this year. Sure, the quality of the targets goes up in that sense, but. I just don't think you'll ever get a d- dependable day. You didn't last year when he could have been the number one. You're not going to get one now with Rashad Bateman taking over there. So sure, he's going to have a couple blowups. Like he's going to get deep. He's going to do well feasting on number two corners every now and again. Yeah, but, but he's not. not he's not going to like bounce back or anything no. like that. And it's it's not like what we just talked about with like T Higgins, where like that's a huge aerial pie. So like even if his slice gets smaller, there's still going to be more than enough. Well. With Marquise Brown, this is a tiny aerial pie. It already wasn't a tasty slice. Now that untasty slice is getting smaller. Like, it's just nothing. He is definitely a much bigger loser than a guy like T. Higgins. No, uh, and he's not opinion. on my team. He's not going to no. be on my team even though I like him. Or I, 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 I liked him. Liked him. Not Devontae Parker, even less appeal now behind Waddle, Waddle and Fuller. Yeah. Yeah. Already a bad fit. We talked about this earlier. Not a good fit with Tua and what he does well. And now the third in terms of targets, like maybe he'll score a couple random touchdowns here and there. But yeah, this guy is going to be behind the other two in front of him that fit their skill set for Tua so much better. There's no reason to draft Devontae Parker this year. No reason. Steelers pass catchers. Slight volume concerns with an upgraded running back. Yeah. I think this is kind of like a drop in the bucket, I think. We, and we talked about this on the last show is like Juju coming back there already made like the trio, which they all were top 24 guys last year. So that was like nice, 
but that was because they led the league by nearly three pass attempts per game. You're not going to get that volume with Najee Harris now there. We talked about, we think they're going to add a workhorse. He's the definition of workhorse. He is built for 350 touches a game. So now you suddenly take, you know, we saw James Conner only get 200 last year. That's why the receivers had so much volume up for grabs. It's talk about an aerial pie. That was like literally an all you can eat aerial buffet like last year. You're not going to get that because Najee Harris is going to take a massive just overall opportunity slice out of here. So sure, Deontay Johnson's still going to be good and Juju and, and Claypool, they're all good talents. I just don't think there's going to be any consistency to which one blows up which week. And that's just not not what I want when you're going to have to draft those guys. Give me something that's going to be a little bit steadier for me. Jameson Crowder, no more slot slut status. Yeah. Ouch. Elijah Morris yeah. taking over. Yeah, absolutely. Like Sam Darnold, the, the one thing he's done good so far in his career is targeting his slot receivers. That also goes hand in hand with Adam Gase, who peppers slot receivers. We saw Jarvis Landry see like 300 targets one year under Adam Gase. No, I'm exaggerating, but still, like Jamison Crowder had multiple number one weeks last year because of how much volume he got out of the slot. And Sam Darnold loved peppering that position, even in college. Dante Burnett then Quincy Anuna when he first got in the league, and then Jamison Crowder back-to-back years. And even when Crowder was out, Braxton Berrios ended up finishing third in, t- in his team in receiving because just because of how high volume that slot role was. Well, now you bring in Elijah Moore, who's probably a better Jamison Crowder. He, he does everything Crowder does, but better. And we already see Zach Wilson in him. Like, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of these pictures, but it's like Elijah Moore takes Zach Wilson out for dinner. Elijah Moore sends Zach Wilson all his highlights. And they, they're just like, the, the bromance is so real. And like, as stupid as that seems to base a fantasy decision on, it is real. Like when, it, when the pressure is on, this new guy is going to go with the guy he comes in with the guy. He's already got like this chemistry with off the field. That stuff translates. It, it does translate onto the field. And I could see you know, Elijah Moore stepping in and being a better Jamison Crowder from day one. So as good as Crowder's been, I, I could see Elijah Moore just completely upending him. Uh, and Zach Wilson, just peppering him from the start. We have a jam-packed schedule for May. We're getting rolling with the Wolves. We have Graham Barfield next next week. We have uh, Mike Me Up on Twitter, one of the best dynasty minds. I don't know dynasty very well, which is why I am thrilled to off like bring in a guy that everybody loves in terms of his Dino One Hundred and One strategy. And then the week after that, we have Justin Boone and Pat Fitzmorris back-to-back number one expert rankings. Yeah, I, I was close. For a while, I was top five. I ended up falling outside to like the top 20-something. What? But Yeah, these I, I was top 10 rest of season. I, mean, I remember you were doing really well for a long time. We were I, talking, was like, you know. I think I was like 23 or something on the year. Uh, these guys were number one. Boone last year, Fitzmorris this year. I'm having them both on to discuss early 2021 right. rankings uh, it's in the next two weeks. So we've got a loaded May, and it's only May. Like, it's and we're going to – we like I said at the beginning, we're going to do a regular pod. We're still and, working out the details. I actually have a lot of ideas. I've been uh, doing some outlines, and I'm having some fun with it. So, I can't uh, wait, Truth. I'm so excited to, like, have the culture corner and segment transitions. All that. We're, that's my big goal is, like, by June, me and you have, like, a sick-ass, like, every week oh, production, you know. It's like, going to be good. It's going to be sick. We're, we have some big things, Wolfpack, so stick with us. If you caught the replay, you caught the live, the thumbs up button helps us tremendously. Yeah. And subscribing to our channels, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're at, uh, makes such a big difference to us. It's it's free and it's easy to do, and it makes such a big difference for us. So please consider giving us a thumbs up. Consider subscribing if you like what you heard. Uh, and any any questions you have, you guys know we're always going to hit it for you. Yes. So, Wolfpack, we're going to keep paving that path to 2021 titles. Stick with us. 
You can find all our stuff at rotostreetjournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves. So in a world of fantasy sheep, be the wolf. Yep. <laughs> Later, guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead. Devlin. Second down. Third effort. Touchdown. Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.